0: Welcome to act react, a podcast where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm the host, Daniel Burkholder, a dance artist based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the ancestral and unceded lands of the Ho-Chunk, Menominee and Potawatomi peoples. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of sharing my conversation with Elena Day, I knew Elena when we both lived in Washington, DC, many years ago. Since then, she's moved all over the world, done some really amazing things, and is truly one of the most creative people I have ever known. She's going to bring a new perspective to this podcast because even though she is a dancer and a, and a theater artist, she works mainly in, in physical theater and is a circus artist who performed with Cirque du Soleil most prominently as the bird ca- character in La Nuba, which you may have seen uh, it was, as it was based in Orlando. So I'm really excited to get her perspective on improvisation and kind of dig into that a little bit. So here's a little bit about Elena. Elena Day is a physical theater teacher and director, currently the ProTrack director and head of physical theater at the New England Center for Circus Arts, NECA, in Brattleboro, Vermont. Elena explores how play, presence, mass technique, and creativity intertwine as she supports the next generation of circus artists to reach their highest performance potential. A graduate of L'École Internationale de Théâtre Jacques Lecoq in Paris, Elena has performed with Cirque du Soleil and Cirque Mechanics, directed and movement-directed award-winning shows, and taught physical theater, including clowning and Lecoq technique, to people of all ages and backgrounds. She studied Lecoq-based pedagogy with Giovanni Fassetti, other influential teachers include Ronlin Foreman, Gardy Hutter, Joy Zinneman, Sri Eken, Nirguna Abathi Ananda, Dodi DeSanto, Beth Davis, Chris Bayes, Avner Eisenberg, and Philip Gouyer. You can check her website out at elanaday.com. Now, please enjoy our conversation. Guess- well, hey, Elena, how are you today?
1: I'm good.
0: I'm good. Good. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me and um, be part of Act React podcast and and talk a little bit about improvisation.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Um, obviously, we've known each other for for more than a minute, and um, we've seen each other's work in lots of different contexts and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm I'm curious to kind of dig into kind of like looking underneath the hood a little bit about Improvisation and how it shows up kind of in your work. Yeah. That sounds great. Great. So, the first question I always ask everyone or variation is how does improvisation kind of show up these days for you, whether it's in your day to day life, it's in your creative work, in your teaching? Like, where, how does it manifest itself?
1: My first instinct is that it doesn't manifest itself enough in certain ways. Because I have shifted more from performance, directing, teaching, to um, directing a program and administrating and teaching. Um, So I feel like 80% of my time is in much more linear, like spreadsheet world. (laughs) Um, I'm the the pro track director at the New England Center for Circus Arts, which is, um, it's like Uh, The ProTrack program is the pre-professional conservatory program. If you want to become a professional circus artist, you spend three years learning about it. Mm -hmm. But I do also teach theater there. Um, And the theater that I teach is really based a lot on playing, playfulness, um, and allowing people to, you know, respond to impulses, which is such pure improvisational, you know, technique. Yeah. So it's showing up mostly in terms of my theater classes in both what I'm teaching to the students, but also teaching can be an improvisational form unto itself of just right. recognizing what is happening in the space and making adjustments, making micro adjustments for various people or more macro for content and things like that. So I think, I think through my theater classes is the biggest way it's showing up these days for me.
0: Yeah. So, well, let's let's dig into that a little bit then. And you said, you know, kind of encouraging playing or playfulness. Um, so what is that? What is what is what is playfulness? What does that mean? Like in the context of your your teaching? How does that what is? Yeah, that?
1: Yeah, it's everything. It's everything. Um, yeah. At the Like, you know, it's so funny to sort of analyze playfulness, but it's something that I've done. There's some wonderful books about it. Um, Stuart Brown has a book called Play that I find so fascinating It's not about theater or anything like that It's just about how play How we as humans need to play Is how we learn Um, But playfulness in terms of the type Of theater, so you might call it Physical theater, less based on Text, more based on body And uh, Responsiveness and saying yes And diving in So for, for my first-year students, you know, these are athlete artists, right? They're, they're not theater people. They're not dance people. I mean, some might be, but, you know, they're there for this other reason. So I find that I start with really the concept of play as the baseline. And the elements that I try to bring out have to do with responding to your own impulses Seeing and actually actually seeing and responding to what is happening, really, instead of an idea of something. Um, Simple and yet foundational ideas of just give and take, action and reaction. I do something, you do something. And how do we build something off of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of sort of like, you know, the first month of school and what do I do, you know, Um, because I find that some of my students just being in direct relationship with another person is something that they might not do in this way very often, extended periods of eye contact and things like that. So like some of it just needs to be kind of massaged um, and then the playfulness can come come through games and exercises, you know, as simple as just like passing a sound and a movement around the space and instead of freezing and feeling like you need to do the right response, really it's just the the response is the right response <laughs> whatever that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting this idea of that playfulness comes out of not worrying about being right or wrong and just like responding
1: yeah yeah and it gets more and more honed over time you know more and more honesty more and more sticking inside it more and more staying with one theme instead of jumping around to you know many themes Mm -hmm. and so you know i guess like any form of improv you start learning and feeling more comfortable staying in it um yeah
0: it's interesting because like as you were just saying that last bit like this idea of playfulness is almost like a mindset right it's like it's like it is a skill but it's also just a way to kind of like set your mind about this is the approach that we're going to take we're going to like respond we're going to say yes we're not going to like we're going to try judge too much we're just going to like have that response but then this idea of sticking with it or um staying inside of it like yeah. is becomes like almost like a compositional thing like that that we're going to stay with it we're going to develop it we're not just like bouncing back and forth off of a million things
1: yeah and it feels like building a muscle you know to be mm-hmm. able to have focus and confidence to just stay with something and not necessarily have to have it be interesting at every moment <laughs> you know but that part of the the staying in is a practice in and of itself.
0: Yeah. Especially in a class. Right. Yeah, Especially...
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. Performance is sort of a whole other ball of wax.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I definitely talk to my students about this idea of, of don't try to be creative, just stay with the whatever the practice is and just stay with it. And don't worry if it's interesting or creative or, Whatever, just you know, we're just trying. We're it's like a lab. We're just experimenting and finding finding answers that maybe will come will become useful later when we do want to craft something or when we do want to put it in front of people.
1: Yeah, although I will say, um, I was just working with a, a clown friend of mine <laughs> named Shannon Calcutta. She was a clown in a Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas called Zumanity for a long time, and she was also talking about she was, she set up an improvisation for my students and part of it did have to do with feeling when a shift should happen. Right. So it's like playing something until it's actually just done.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: then if you, there's practices, right. Where you keep going past that. That's sort of what we're talking about. But then yeah, yeah. also the practice of recognizing like, this is done. My partner, this is not fun for them. It's not fun for me. Right. Something needs to shift now. So that that is also part of learning, being sensitive and and almost saving your partner in a certain way by shifting something up.
0: Yeah. So what's what's when you're when you're in those exercises and you're you're working at what's the difference between being responsible to your own interests and being responsible to your partner or your partners? If it's more than one person, like how like what's that relationship?
1: Mm, that's an interesting question. I think that where we get into trouble is if our own interest is in our head, purely in, our de- in ideas and about being clever, mm-hmm. as opposed to there's a back and forth here. There's a flow. I'm picking up on themes. I'm picking up on rhythm. I'm picking up on just like the ball of wax that is play that becomes yeah. more than all the sum of its parts and things are just really rolling but if it's like i am i'm, I'm going to do this thing cuz i think it's going to be super clever yeah it's not in alignment with the everything else i think that's where putting your own intuition or so it's not exactly intuition but you know your own sort of drive ahead can get you off yeah. If you're not, if you're just sort of listening to instincts and following them, and it is just sort of a tennis match. It's a dance. It's like, I'm going, you're going, I'm going, you're going. I am listening. And partly it's your partner also being ready to, like, get that ball out from left field, you know, mm-hmm. run and grab it. Because, like, sure, why not?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it relates back to what you said earlier of actually seeing what's happening. Exactly. Yeah, as opposed to having the idea of what's happening.
1: It's all about being present
0: Mm. how do you how do you develop that how do you develop that in your students i mean you know you could sit and meditate for a while or whatever but there's there's other ways of doing like what are the some of the ways that you encourage that teach that help develop that point them in that direction
1: um yeah sometimes it's like tricking ourselves through games because sometimes if you ask a bunch of people to play red light green light very few of them will not be in the present moment they Mm -hmm. almost immediately will be like i'm ready (laughs) now i'm doing this now i'm doing that and it you know like that's a child's game but that's the same feeling that we engender with other sometimes we actually do play that and then we can mold it to be more theatrical theatrically but um but that's kind of the feeling is you know um is putting ourselves in these situations that trick us into being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it could be moving in different ways that just kind of get you out of your head and into your body and let your nervous system kind of like come into the present moment in a certain way. Um, I think sometimes playing with with sort of rhythm and timing can help doing things a little more quickly. Like even, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the classic like, you know, so it was sort of a, I think it was a joke going around for a while during the pandemic of like, you know, theater teachers asking people to just like walk in the space, like let's all just walk in the space, start by walking in the space. But even that, like lifting energy up, out, moving a little bit faster kind of clicks, can click you into from a like little bit more passive, I'm in myself to something a little bit more present. I'm out. I'm seeing what's around me. I'm seeing the people that are in the space. You know, I'm orienting, I'm seeing the space itself. So, you know, there's many, many exercises and games and and things like that uh, and movement practices that can just kind of help, help bring you into presence.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I, as you're talking, like I'm thinking about like this dual meaning almost one or this dual kind of, pathways, because there's one, like I joked about meditating, but there is that, that practice of of more meditative practices, whether it's actually sitting and meditating or like doing Feldenkrais or doing different kinds of things that really do bring you inside to be more fully present with yourself. And then some of the things that you're saying, like even the red light, green light, it's bringing you into the present moment by giving you a goal or something to focus on. Like you know, like, and even just walking around, the room, walking faster ups the ante because running into someone or being everyone's a little less predictable than if we're all just kind of like, you know, yeah. strolling. But it, it creates like, oh, I got to pay attention. Like, there's a paying attention yeah. that that brings it out.
1: Yeah, and I do think that some of the inner practices can be super helpful, and even sometimes at the beginning. You know, we're all like running around and, you know, driving from one studio to another. And sometimes people arrive, you know, kind of like this. And, you know, sometimes just like tuning in for a moment, like, okay, here we are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) can be really nice. At the same time, the the background that I come from at the the Jacques Lecoq school, he was very much into what. What are we putting into the space outside us?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What can we see outside us that we can reflect in our body and then put back outside us again? There was almost no ooey gooey internal. I'd say, really, almost none. Yeah, <laughs> like that just did, was yeah. not that was not part of it. You know, even the way that we did our warm ups, um, like a physical warm up that could be seen as just cal- calisthenic. It's not. It's not just I'm moving my body in this way. It's I'm relating to the space around me as I move my body in this way. Mm-hmm. So it was just always the practice of. It, it was more more going out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Is do, do you pull a lot? Is that where a lot of what you do with your students comes from? From that training, or is it a mix of things? Or
1: it's a total mix, but it's such a huge part of my background. Yeah, and I mean, I think I do what many. Veteran teachers do, you know, mix it all up, the salad of everything we've learned over the last 30 years. But sure. um, but it was definitely, you know, I looked to his underlying structure of what he called the territories that we, you know, um, the different sort of sections at his school. Um, of, so, you know, clowning would be a territory. Buffon is a territory. Um, tragedy. But he had it super consciously organized so that everything really layered and so i find that i i borrow from that a lot i borrow from the you know the ideas in his practices um because they relate many of them really relate a lot to circus you know
0: yeah yeah sure
1: yeah um for example he, he did something called identifications. So like I was talking about looking outside yourselves, Mm -hmm. identifications are basically moving with the force and the rhythm and the space of everything in nature. So we would do different sec, you know, something that might be easier to access, um, you know, for your listeners would be animals, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a chicken has like a certain dynamic and presence and way of moving. And we can bring that into ourselves And it teaches us something about theater and character. Mm. It could get much more abstract, you know, everything from materials, how does cardboard move, to light, you know, what's the difference between a fluorescent light and an incandescent light and a candlelight, you know, how do they all move? For a circus artist, they're trying to find these textures on their apparatus and so it feels like a real nice one to one, you know, um, way of learning and way of of exploring, yeah. yeah, different different textures through identifications,
0: yeah, that's that's a really interesting practice. and in the in the kind of, Especially as you said, like the different kinds of light and stuff like that. it 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 feels abstract in a way, but there is kind of something really tangible about the difference between them. And you feel different when you have when you're in a fluorescent light or when you're in a room with candles or whatever. And that can offer such probably great insights. And because the students that you're working with are are circus artists that may be doing, all the whole range of circus skills it's not like they're training to be clowns
1: no most of them are not i mean some some have a real interest and are like "Mm, hmm you know give me more you know um but most you know and many like i said have never done any theater so they're just it's like you know even even doing the sort of simple back and forth type of exercise and in month one is already kind of a little bit of a stretch you know but you know and we get it going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. No, I'm sh- I'm sure they make a lot of progress. So, um, let's kind of kind of back up a little bit and shift back into your kind of I know you said you're not doing it so much right now, but you're performing and how improvisation kind of showed up and you you mentioned that, you know, often in performance when you're clowning, you have things that are really set, like you're really you're going through some set things. Um but the moment that probably is always that it that improvised moment is that like you mentioned also no fourth wall and like when when audience comes into play um i'm sure there's other times but that seems like a real time where you're like i have no idea what's going to happen in this moment um so let's see let's let's see and let's play yeah. right
1: yeah i think i think with Clowning, And so my background is more in what you might call theatrical clowning as opposed to um, more acrobatic or, you know, slapstick style clowning, which are both also wonderful. Um, uh, I think people can be surprised at how incredibly highly structured it is. I think clowns can get very, like... You know, finding rhythm and, and find, you know, should I do this before that and how big and how to build, you know? But within that, the form itself, it doesn't have a fourth wall. It's in direct relationship to the audience and every audience is different. Um, and so I think that's where the improvisation in clowning comes out even more is. Again, with the presence, it's like what is actually happening in the space? You know, a a classic example would be, you know, a baby cries or a dog barks or, you know, someone rides by on a bicycle and suddenly it's it can be acknowledged in a way that that straight theater would not acknowledge it. Yeah. But there's still I think what I've also discovered a bit in later years is like there's still there's like a something that I hold on to inside of myself along with a buoyancy that has to be a little bit stronger than everything that's outside of me so that mm-hmm. I can keep, I can be aware of it and respond to it, but keep not let it totally derail me. Cause I think that in clowning classes, there's so much that's based on, it's much more open. It's usually less structured. It's just you in front of an audience, something, you know, in certain cases. Mm-hmm. And if the audience doesn't respond in a certain way, it can be really, like ah what do i do mm-hmm. but, if, but if there's a certain um positive tension i would say and 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 drive and holding then you can ride these moments of not you know when your audience doesn't respond for example
0: right right, right. is that is that around the idea of that you are most often a character
1: yeah i mean Uh, this was something in in preparation for this, I was kind of thinking about how does improvisation show up in, in clowning most and, and in clowning classes this sort of theatrical clowning. Yeah. There, there can be um, somewhat open improvisations that where there's not so much a character. It's more of a state. It's like getting yourself get into a heightened state, but it's sort of still you in a state, faced with an audience, right. <laughs> and what happens—that's right. very scary and very open. You know, um, one of my main clowning teachers is an Italian guy named Giovanni Fusetti, and he works mostly with using the patterns in one's own body as a way to find what he calls the form of your clown, like the physical. Mm-hmm manifestation that's related so much to state and play it's all joined together yeah and when you're when you find that and you can kind of lock into it you could do that same type of kind of open improvisation of just like entering from backstage onto stage but in a form it's mm-hmm. still very open <laughs> it can go in many ways but you at least have a state and a form to rely on yeah and then out of that, it can become even more structured where you start having, um, you know, writing things that you create that, you know, um, and, and you are making yeah. you a your piece. Right. And that's, that's more highly structured.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was just thinking about the difference of like thinking about like my improvisational practice, though it's mostly rooted in movement or dance, but there's no, it's just me. Right. I'm not I'm not right. taking on any kind of I may I may be in a state. I may choose to like be in a, a certain kind of state or, you know, ch- you know, narrowing it what I'm doing somehow. But yeah. I'm I'm not taking on another role. There's been so few times. In my career where I've taken on kind of like a character, you know, yeah. there's a couple couple times I have. But um, so it's it's an interesting kind yeah. of. Giv- yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's different approaches to clowning, but yeah, you know, some people say you know it's kind of like it's you but not you. I mean, it's yeah. not exactly right. You know, I I think when I was kind of first grappling with this for the first twenty years or so, <laughs> I felt it felt like, well, it's you, because there you know people would say things like you know in clowning if they don't like you, they don't like you.
0: <laughs> it's like,
1: oh that's really terrifying and scary.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I feel like it's not exactly that. It's like, it is based on you and you find like your own quirky way of playing. Sure. But again, I feel like there's a little bit more of a, a drive and a holding and a state that elevates it or amplifies it to something that's, it's different. It's not just playing yourself. It is a character. It is a character.
0: Well, let's, I, let's touch on this then. I, I, uh, and talk about your bird character right in Cirque du Soleil and Le um, which I got to see I think I saw it like four or five times okay. yeah I mean because I went and saw it like when it first opened I think and of course my parents lived down there so then yeah. we went as a family of this you know we just went a, a number of times um, I remember once I was there and there was some power outage or something uh-huh. and the guy who was doing the tight, tight rope, he was yeah. like middle of this tightrope, and everything went black. And then the fluorescence came on oh my God. everything, and he was like standing there on the but, tight rope.
1: Thank God he had his safety, safety yeah.
0: He um, was fine. I mean, he didn't fall or anything, but yeah. it was a moment of.
1: That's intense. Yeah. I, it's I don't even remember that. I don't know why. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> But
0: well, yeah. Cause, how many shows did you do? We yeah. did
1: 470 shows a year, and I was in it for over five years.
0: Yeah, so yeah, a lot of things probably happened. Um, so, talk, thinking about character, and because in that in that production, you had a really specific character, the the bird character, and um, I mean, interesting, maybe hear how that developed. I think I've heard a little bit before, but just how that character evolved through the creative process and then also kind of what was it like to be doing that same work that many times and how did you keep it interesting?
1: Yeah. Right. So like three questions. So like how did yeah. it evolve? Yeah. Uh, how do you, what's it like to play something so much? And then how do you keep it fresh? Yeah. Uh, I'll start with the last one in a way. Cause I, I had I had taught a a play class uh, sometimes they call it je, which is just French for play okay uh, in uh, to another a cast of another Cirque du Soleil show and at the end, you know this wonderful juggler was like, these are great. it's super fun to do these kind of workshops, but I don't know then I go back to it and it's just because there is that repetitive nature which is <laughs> you know, the second level of your question is like, what's it like to do it over and over Yeah, um, it can be really challenging. Um, and so I actually pulled together and I, it just resurfaced, which is why it's on my mind. So I, I kind of created an article called keeping it fresh, where I just asked a bunch of people from all different types of performing arts, like, how do you keep it fresh when you're doing the same thing over and over? You know, if you're a songwriter and you're singing the same song, you know, I, I wonder about that when, you know, the Rolling Stones. It's like right. if they don't, if they don't sing satisfaction, I'm not going to be satisfied. And right, three hundred dollars for a ticket. You know, so like, how do you bring your presence back into something that you've done over and over? So, um, I have lots of ideas around that. Um, sorry, now I'm all fractioned I want to go in three directions at once. So, <laughs> I guess the 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 keeping it fresh part a lot of people did bring it back to presence, like keep your focus on your partners, keep your focus on the audience, keep your focus on anything that's super tangible, like your own breath or, you know, know. um, because if you don't, it's so easy to be like, "Mm, grocery list, laundry, pick up kid from school, you know? Right. Um, uh, But yeah, I can, I can send you that article. um, If you'd like, um, of the the creation of the character, it's it's interesting because we were talking about you know what's based on yourself, what's based on something else, and the director of the show I was in was named Franco Dragone, and the way that he worked is that he really just wanted to see what was super unique about each individual. Mm-hmm. He would he would just like put on music bring us out to the stage and he'd say like new food and you just had to like go up and do something generate you know this sort of food of movement and or you know ideas and and he would just like home in on does this work does it not what's what's unique and my process was, was actually pretty hard I was not sure if I was kind of gonna make it you know it was like Mm -hmm. the show was getting closer and I kind of still didn't have a character um and so one day he just you know we had tried many things um including like a you know a ringmaster wearing leather pants and having a whip and and he was just like we cannot lie to the audience because I just didn't I was not that kind of high status character Uh and it was like, come in tomorrow as a mischievous elf or a bird. So I just went home. And because of my training at the Lecoq School, we where we had to generate every week um, some kind of act, you know, um, I was really used to having to generate um, and come up with ideas. So I just went home and I basically created a silhouette, a costume silhouette. In fact, I still, you can't really see it. Like up there in the corner is a little hand. <laughs> Uh-huh. And that, that was the head that Cirque du Soleil made of me when they did they did it do that of every artist so that they can build noses and hats or wigs or something. Sure. But on the very top of it is the actual um, hat that I brought in when I was like, okay, I need to trick myself out. Yeah you know, I had this long nose, I had this hat, I put, you know, feathers around my, I extended my elbows and my knees, and I kind of came in with a proposition. Um, And then I worked with the assistant choreographer to come up with some movement. And what was really interesting was that, in fact, you know, it wouldn't be till years later that I would work with Giovanni Fusetti. But one of the sort of baseline movements of my bird character was this sort of resting slump. Uh And what I discovered was like, that was one of my underlying patterns. It kind of showed up in my clowning again, you know, years later, I was like, okay, we were onto something down there. That's why Franco was like, yes, that there's something right about it. There's something about the, the internal patterns in your body, you know, that, that, that works. So that was it. Once we created like a couple ways of moving and kind of a silhouette, I think the attitude kind of came out of that. And then he just placed me in the show and it was kind of like planting a seed and giving it a bit of room. You know, he didn't overly construct anything. It was like, you have this moment here and you can, you know, within the bounds of the show, do what you want.
0: Mm -hmm. And so this is interesting. So how did you, was, as you were deciding what you want, like how much of it was you like, you know, sitting up at night, like figuring out like, what should I do in this moment? And how much was it just like improvising that moment and trying things in rehearsal?
1: I think it was a total mix. I mean, luckily the other people in my show were really generous. There wasn't this feeling of like my idea, I'm gonna hold something back. It was like, if they saw something, they would also be like, Elena, I totally think you should try this thing in this moment, you know? Uh And so, yeah, it was a mix of things coming from outside, just noticing again what's happening. If there's another character there, we might start developing a moment. Um, uh, There would be times that I would have to more formally present ideas if they required any form of rigging or other people.
0: Yeah, 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 sure.
1: You know, I'd have to kind of say, hey, can we do this thing? And sometimes it would take a year to manifest one of those um, because it would have to go through all the, like, layers of bureaucracy and, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like that feels complete. Um, loved hearing about your teaching and kind of all the influences and how that manifests itself, and just like hearing kind of again a little history about how maybe um, some of these ideas where they came from and and kind of where they blossomed from um, was really wonderful. Um, do you have any any other thoughts or anything that's come up for you as we've as we've talked here?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know exactly who it is who listens to this, but I would yeah. say, you know, if you're um... If you're a performer, a dancer, I do think that these forms of clowning can be really great practices. You know, even if you're like, I'm not funny. I don't, you know, I'm not a clown, like whatever. It's another way of of getting into presence, direct relationship with the audience, listening to yourself, um, spontaneity, imagination. And I just, I'd recommend it for anybody.
0: Right. Cool. Well. Thank you. Again, thank you so much for taking your time today to talk to me. It was really delightful to hear all of that. And um, I, I really enjoy kind of reconnecting a little bit.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Have a great day.
1: Thanks. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to my conversation with Elena. I hope you enjoyed kind of hearing about her perspective and about circus and physical theater. It was really such a nice different perspective to add to the mix for this season. You can check out the show notes for links to Elena out in the world and on the web. And as always, please subscribe to Act React on YouTube, Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher or Podbean. Please join me for my final conversation of the season with Bakari Wilder a fabulous tap dancer and teacher. You may know him as the tapper who replaced Savion Glover as the lead in Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk. I personally remember seeing him as a high school he was a high school student performing a really lovely, sensitive tap dance to the music of Yo-Yo Ma and Bobby McFerrin. And since since then he's been always one of my favorite tap dancers. So I'm going to I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation talking about tap improvisation. and and performance it's really really wonderful so please check it out until then take care be well and live spontaneously